Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. If you look back over the last hundred or so years, some of the best inventions and the best products have came from ideas that resulted in taking care of a need that we didn't realize we had. So in 1902, when William Carrier came up with the air conditioner, it wasn't built as an air conditioner. It was built as a machine that would help remove humidity from a printing press room. But we gained air conditioning because of his great idea. In 2007, if we would have said you could do away with your fax machine, your computer, your encyclopedia, your calculator, and nearly everything else on your desk and put it all into an iPhone, we would have not known then that we needed it. And there's a push among people now to fill one of the biggest needs that's realized in our culture, and that is the need of rest. So Fitbit now has where it'll tell you how many REM cycles you've been through in your evening or that you've not been in. And there's one particular company that's trying to to market this to the workforce, and they came up with this idea called the Metropod, and there's a picture behind me, and this is to where you can gain a 20-minute nap at work to increase productivity. Now, we live in a culture that has no idea what to do with the idea of rest, and we don't fully understand what this is, but Google and GE and some of these other large companies are buying Metropods so that you can crank out just a little bit more out of you and at the same time give you a little bit of rest as well. It may seem funny, but we as a culture are famous for saying things like this. Um, I need a vacation from my vacation. So I'm probably the least qualified to come and talk to you about rest. You're probably the least qualified to even hear it. And so today what we want to do, though, is look at the book of Hebrews, because in the beginning part of chapter 4 of Hebrews, he lays out his case for finding rest in God. And while physical rest, the Bible speaks of physical rest, it also speaks of spiritual rest. Physical rest, without it, it takes its toll. We know that probably better than most. But spiritual rest, it's a non-negotiable, right? Physical rest is essential, but spiritual rest is a non-negotiable. And the reason that I say that is because spiritual rest is only found in God. Matter of fact, the psalmist says it this way, my soul finds rest in God alone, In Psalm 62, my salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, and I will not be shaken. Throughout Scripture, you see this incredible link between physical rest and spiritual rest. And the psalmist came to realize what also the author of Ecclesiastes would say is that eternity has been set in our hearts. We understand that there's something more than this life. And so the psalmist says, look, my soul finds rest in God alone. It's the only place you're going to find rest for your soul. But if you read the rest of Psalm 62, you come away with this understanding that when we find spiritual rest, it leads to physical rest. When we are secure with our soul, understanding that our biggest problem, which is our sin, has been taken care of, we can rest from trying to work our way to please God or trying to earn our way to make Him happy. And the psalmist says, look, I'm not going to be shaken. My soul has found rest in God alone, and I will not be shaken physically. Spiritual rest leads to physical rest, and resting in God and His promises can certainly relieve anxiousness, anxiety, worry, stress, but those are byproducts of spiritual rest. 
And so the reason I I lay this case out for you today about spiritual rest is that in chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews makes his case from the past about rest. And we're going to kind of recap verses 1 through 10 and then spend most of our time in 11 through 16 this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, if you haven't already, open them up. If not, there's one in front of you. That's our gift to you. In chapter 3, the last part of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, God uses Israel as a warning to specifically the people he was writing to here in the book of Hebrews. But it's also a warning to us that God uses this idea that the nation of Israel comes out of slavery and Moses leads them to the promised land, a land of rest. But their lack of faith and their lack of willingness to trust God caused them not to be able to go into the promised land. And so the writer of Hebrews says in 1 through 5 that, look, this is what's happened. There was a a group of your ancestors. They were told to enter this land of rest, but they didn't have faith to trust God that he would do what he said he was going to do. He then goes on and says, but that part of the nation, that generation died outside in the wilderness, but then he sent Joshua. And Joshua was able to lead them into that promised day rest or promised land rest. But then he goes on in verse 9 and 10 to say, but wait a minute, there's another day coming, one that Joshua didn't fully understand, that we see today and that we understand that our true spiritual rest is found in Jesus Christ. He offers rest for our soul. It's why he would come along later and say, come to me all you are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. So true spiritual rest is found in Jesus Christ. And the author of Hebrews, who's writing to predominantly Jewish people, which gets a little bit confusing, He starts out the letter and says, in the past, God spoke in all these different ways and in certain things, but in these last days, he speaks to us through his son. And then he uses chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 to show us all the ways that Jesus is better. Now, to you and I, we may sit there and say, we're not Jews. We don't understand this. It doesn't mean anything. It means everything because he lays out why Jesus is better from everything else that God has ever done. He says that from the beginning of Hebrews. He shows that throughout the rest of it. So last week we looked that Jesus is better than angels. Today we're going to look at he's better than Moses and the promised land, and he is our spiritual rest. Next week we'll look at he's better than the priests and better than the sacrifices and better than the covenants. If you don't understand all that, that's okay. I would encourage you to come to our class, Know God 101. We'll help you understand that a little bit better. But here's what you do need to know, is that Jesus Christ is the author and the perfecter of our faith, that he offers true spiritual rest apart from anyone else. And the author of Hebrews lays out his case in chapter 4, the beginning 10 verses. In verse 11, he picks up and he says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So in verses 1 through 10, the author of Hebrews lays out this case for these people who would have been very familiar with this, that, they, that your ancestors weren't able to enter the land because they weren't able to trust God. 
They eventually got let in. They found peace for a time, although not for very long. And that ultimately one day that rest would be personified in Jesus Christ. And in verse 11, it says, let us make every effort, therefore, to enter that rest. The rest he's talking about is the rest that's found in Jesus. So that we don't follow their example of disobedience. Every effort. He's not talking that we have to work our way to be right with God. What he's saying is make every effort to trust God that he is going to give you the rest that you need. Make every effort to do that. And then also, don't follow their, their lack of faith. Right? We want to trust God for salvation because we realize we can't do that. And many of you have come to realize that. But we'll try and live through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And sometime in that time span, we go, wait a minute, we need them then too. And the author of Hebrews is saying, look, make sure that we enter that rest of what would one day be Jesus Christ. And that we would do so and not follow the example of disobedience from their ancestors. He goes on to say, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Now, in the immediate context for this verse, it's not just that you can trust your Bible, although that's true. It's not just that God's word can reach into places that nothing else can. That's true. What he is telling us today is that these people, the original audience of this letter, weren't sure they could trust Jesus for everything. And so he tells them, look, you can trust Jesus. They'd fallen back into their Jewish customs and ways. And he says, look, you can trust God, that he's going to provide true spiritual rest for your life. And he's going to do it in a way that you wouldn't expect because he's going to go after your heart. And he's going to reveal things in your life that maybe you don't rest in. He's going to reveal things in your life that you don't trust him. And he says, look, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. This is why you can go sometimes and read a verse and it just goes, and then a few years later you read that verse and it completely wrecks you. It's because he's doing something in your heart and in your life through his word that only can be reached into the most inner, deepest parts of our soul. And so he tells this audience, these Hebrew people, he says, look, you've got to trust and rest in Jesus Christ. You've got to understand that his word is making you into the person that he wants you to be, which is not a better version of you. It's more like Jesus Christ. And for every one of us, sometimes if we're honest, our motives are really good. And sometimes our motives are not really good. And God, in his goodness and grace, uses his word to kind of help us sort out which is good and which is bad. As you go on to think about what he says, there's a popular phrase right now in our culture that says you should trust your heart. That's a terrible idea. If I were to trust my heart all the time, I would be in jail at this moment, and you would too. Right? That's why he would come along later, Solomon would come along later and say, um, don't trust your heart, it's deceitful and wicked, and no one can understand it. He would go on to say, you've got to guard your heart, for everything you do comes from it. And so in our culture, it's very much like, okay, yes, trust Jesus, that's good, but really follow your dreams, follow your heart, make yourself happy. That's nowhere in the Bible. Doesn't mean you don't have good intuition at times, but when you want to back up what God wants you to do, you've got to go back to his word to help you sort out, am I seeing this clearly? Am I thinking about this the right way? Am I, am I working through this? Because his word is going to go into the deepest, darkest places of your heart and show you I'm doing this for the wrong reason. 
I'm not doing this because I love people. I'm doing it because I'm selfish. And so he reminds the, the Hebrew people there, he reminds them that, that God is working through his word. And so our confidence today is not in who we are, but it's in who God is. Right? I hope you figure that out. Like, it's only a matter of time before you let yourself down. And so our confidence to follow God doesn't come from ourselves. It comes in his goodness and his grace. And we're going to see that here in a few moments. In verse 13, it says, Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Nothing is hidden from God. You can try and fake it. You can try and look really good, talk really good, act really good, but he sees everything. You remember the song when you were a kid, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little eyes what you see, and then uh, be careful little eyes what you see because the God above is looking down below, so be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little ears what you hear, be careful little ears, you remember the song, somebody, yes, give me, yes, okay, good, three people. Nothing, I thought that was just like a control mechanism for the church and my parents. But it's not. He sees everything. And one day we'll have to give an account for what we have done, good and bad. And so he says, look, I want you to enter that rest that's ultimately found in Jesus. His word is going to reveal those parts of your life where you're not following Jesus. And he sees everything, and he sees where you misrepresent yourself and where you put yourself in the right place. And he says, look, everything's laid bare. He's going to see everything. He's going to know you better than you know yourself. It's been said there's three places where people misrepresent themselves. The lobby of a five-star hotel, the lobby of a car dealership, and the lobby of a church. And so when you think about how you act and what you do, keep in mind today that Jesus Christ sees everything. Now, you're like, this is a downer. I should have came next Sunday. It's going to get good in just a moment. But for now, we've got to understand that we are, we are crazy, wicked, bad people starting with myself. He says, look, we must, everything's uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That verse has always scared me, and it, it doesn't have to. And here's why. When we speak of giving an account in Scripture, there's two judgments that we know of that we see in Scripture. One is in Revelation chapter 20. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment. This would be at the end of time where unbelievers appear before God, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. That's a sad judgment. It should motivate us to go out and tell people more about Jesus. There's another one listed in Romans chapter 14 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which is called the judgment seat of Christ, which if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's where you're up here. And it says it's a judgment, and it's a little misleading because it's not really a judgment because Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin and mine. But what it is a judgment of is what did you do with the time that you had? Did you do things that, as he says in Scripture, that would be refined as gold and, and offered back as sacrifice to God or stuff that's just burnt up like wood, hay, and stubble. The hard part about reading Hebrews is it's filled with warnings. And this is one of them, that we will give an account for how we live. And the writer of Hebrews is telling those people, and he's telling us today, that God sees every square inch of your heart. And you're going to give an account one day. So be very careful then how you live is what he'd go on to say here in a little bit. So it's bad news, and I'm sorry. Here's three warnings for you out of the first 10 verses of Hebrews. Number one, enter God's rest through faith in Jesus Christ. That's laid out in the first, really, all of Hebrews, that you would trust in his son. Number two, be very, very careful of trusting our hearts, desires, emotions, and attitudes. 
God gave you every one of those for a reason. It's just you can't allow them to elevate his word. You can't allow them to become preeminent in your life. Right? We all know people like that where it's just like up here and then down here, up here and down here, up here, and it's exhausting. Going back to spiritual rest, that's what we need. And so he says, first off, warning, enter God's rest through faith in Jesus Christ. Number two, be very careful of our uh, emotions. And number three, understand that we'll have to give an account. Okay, now the good news. Verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. If you don't realize that in the Jewish culture, there was a high priest and his job was to come and atone for sins. He would once a year during the Day of Atonement make his way into the holiest place called the Holy of Holies to atone for the sins of the nation. And he had very specific rules in which he had to do this by. And if he didn't nail these rules, he could die. Matter of fact, they put little bells on the high priest so that as he made his way past the curtain, they couldn't see him anymore. If the bell stopped going, game over for the high priest. You may say, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty scary thought. It is that God took his presence and the lack of sin in his presence so seriously that that's what he required. For you and I who aren't Jewish, that becomes a little bit confusing. But for a Jewish person, the audience of where Hebrews was originally written, this makes perfect sense for them. And he's always trying to point back that Jesus is better than whatever you want to put in the blank. So the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, we have a great high priest. Since we have problems, the word of God reveals the problem. He lays it bare so that it, we, he can see exactly where we're coming from. And the incredible news today is we have a great high priest, not a high priest that we have to worry about or a lack of confidence. We have a great high priest who didn't stay here on earth, but he ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God. Therefore, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. In verse 14, the writer of Hebrews is trying to help us understand that God has an incredible hold on us because of Jesus Christ. And he's asking you and me to hold on to him. Matter of fact, some, some translations say that, that you should hold firmly to, the, to your confession of faith. This idea of holding firmly is, in Greek is a wrestling term. Not WWE style, but Greco-Roman. That you would grab them by the throat to be so close and grab a hold of them. And he says, look, you've got to grab and hold on to your faith. You've got to hold on to your faith. And the great news is, is that Jesus Christ is holding you today if you are trusting him as your savior. And so scripture never teaches that you can lose your faith, but you may have to wrestle with it, right? We have doubts that come up. We have things that, that happen. And so you may, you may not lose your faith, but you really at times could struggle with it. And the author of Hebrews says, therefore, since we have a great high priest, he's taking care of our sin problem better than any earthly high priest ever could. Since that's the case, grab a hold of that faith and hang on for dear, dear life. It's what makes faith, faith, that we would reach out and, and trust God. It's what the writer of James would come along later and say, to work out your faith with fear and trembling, that you would grab a hold of it, not because you're some great person, but because Jesus is incredibly worth giving your life to. In verse 15, he goes on to say, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way that we are, yet he did not sin. And so we see that the object of our faith, Jesus, the great high priest, not a high priest, but the great high priest who didn't stay on earth, but he ascended into heaven, 
he can empathize with us. Now, the earthly high priest could empathize with us as well. He was a human. He understood sin. But the incredible thing about Jesus is, is not only did he understand sin, he said no to sin, which has made him a perfect sacrifice to pay for your sins and for mine. And the author of Hebrews says, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize, but one who's done everything yet did not sin. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion. Every other religion is what can you do to get up to God? Can you be good enough, smart enough, fast enough, do the right things and do that so that you can get to God? Christianity is the only religion where the God came down to rescue you and me, to live on 33 years on this earth, to do it perfectly, to die for your sins, to come back from the dead, to ascend into heaven and wait one day to have you to be welcomed home. The writer of Hebrews says, look, we've got a great high priest. In spite of all the bad that's in here, we've got a great high priest. And so there's uh, what he says next is, therefore, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love that he refers to it as a throne of grace. Maybe as a kid, you thought of God as some long white-haired guy ready to shoot down fire and brimstone and lightning and everything else. And the writer of Hebrews is he's trying to help them make the connection of who God really is, that Jesus really is worth your life. He says, look, let us approach his throne of grace with confidence. Let us approach his throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When I was a kid, I said something to my mom, and for the life of me, I can't remember what I said or did, but I got in trouble, and I grew up in the 80s, and it was okay to spank kids then, and so I got a spanking. I uh, got my spanking, and I laughed because it didn't really hurt, and I told my mom that. I said, that didn't really hurt, and I laughed. She said, okay, we'll see what happens when your dad gets home. So my dad comes home, and I am terrified because I know it's going to hurt because for a variety of reasons. I did something wrong. I smarted off to my mom, and he was going to make sure it hurt so that next time I would remember that that happened. I'll never forget the fear and trepidation of watching from the window of my room out through our house to watch my dad pull in the driveway and to come in and to set wrong all the right, or right all the wrongs that I had done that day. And there was an incredible sense of fear. Maybe you've come to realize, whether through today or through God's word, that there's some things in your life that you are just terrified that you're going to have to answer for one day. The writer of Hebrews in verse 16 says, let us, let us therefore approach his throne of grace with confidence. I had no confidence that day. It was gone. The incredible truth today is that for you and I, if you're in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have nothing to worry about to appear before God today. Now, will there be reward or maybe not as much reward? Are there consequences on this, in this life? Absolutely. You rob a bank, you're going to jail. I'm sorry. Can God forgive you? Absolutely. Does that give you free reign to go out and be an idiot? No. And so as you think through what, what the writer of Hebrews is telling these people and he's telling us today is that we can have confidence to go to the right place for the right help. The problem is for, for me and probably for you too is that that place is usually the last place we go. If he has a throne of grace where he's willing to say, I love you for you, not because of what you might become, but because of you, right? God demonstrates his love and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. 
And that's his posture. And he says that he offers mercy and grace in our time of need. The problem is for Hebrews, the people that were the original audience of Hebrews, and us today, is that that's the last place we go. Or if we do go there, it's I'll trust you for salvation, but I'm not going to trust you with this. And we hang on to things that we probably shouldn't. Years ago, I had a student ask me, he said, if I do a belly flop, will you buy me a bag of Skittles? I thought, yeah, I'm all over this, yeah. So he does the belly flop, and it was terrible because instead of the full out, you know, one of these numbers, it was kind of tucked in. So I said, look, that's not going to cut it. I'm not buying a bag of Skittles to see that. I want to see the whole thing flat out, just out in the middle of it. So he did it. I can still hear the sound of his body hitting the water. Was he scared? Absolutely. Did it hurt? I guarantee it. But there was a reward, a bag of Skittles, that he was clinging to. I think God is calling us to trust him and to jump out in faith and just go like this. But I think for most of us, we're like, like jumping back down and he wants this. Here's the cool thing. He did that. I gave him his bag of Skittles. He did it over and over again. He thought this was a fun game. But you know what else was really interesting when he did that? Other people wanted to do it. Suddenly, I, I was buying more Skittles than I could know what to do with because everybody else was like, well, he did it. I can do it. I'll get a bag of I didn't think Skittles were that motivating of a, a candy, but apparently they were. When you finally trust Jesus Christ in every area of your life, when you understand that you can approach His throne of grace with confidence for help in your time of need, you're going to go out and lay out and just trust Him. And it might hurt, you might fall, you'll have a, a red mark across your body, but you will get something so much better than a bag of Skittles. You've got a reward waiting for you in heaven. You have eternal life. You have forgiveness of your sins. You have mercy and grace for any and every situation in your life. And here's the other incredible thing. People see that and they're like, I want in on that too. I want in on that too. And so the writer of Hebrews, it's a tough book. There's lots of warnings. There's Jewish history that we don't all fully comprehend. But one thing we do know for sure, in the past, God spoke through various ways and means and did different things. But in these last days, he speaks to us through his son. And Jesus Christ is waiting for you. Maybe you're trusting him already for salvation, but maybe there's some other area of your life that you're struggling to trust him. Can I tell you to go to the right place for the right help, to jump out and trust him and watch what only he can do? And if you'll do that, it, it will radically transform your life. We bought into the lie that we can just get a little bit from God and be okay. So we can show up to church or we can read our Bible and suddenly then everything's going to be okay. And that's true. It, it is helpful. But he wants you to trust him with everything. And so today as we close our time, I just want to give you a few moments just to pray on your own or if, if you'd like some, maybe you're going through a really tough time and you'd like somebody else to pray for you, come down afterwards. We'll have people here that are ready to pray for you. But most of all, if you're not following Jesus, the question I have for you today is why not? He came to live a perfect life. He came to save you from your sins. He came to let you trust him for every area, and he longs to be with you. 
He's not the God that you think he is. He's so much better. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'd love to talk to you afterwards what that means and how you can trust him today. If you would, join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for your son who paid our price, who's a great high priest who ascended into heaven and who sits on a throne right now on our behalf. God, I know for many people in this room, they're trusting you for salvation and that's incredible that you would make a way that we could be right with you. But God, I also believe that you're calling us to trust you for every other area of our life as well. So God, I pray that you'd forgive me, that you'd forgive us for not buying into the rest that you so freely offer us. And God, as one of the most overworked and stressed out cultures in the world, I gotta wonder if perhaps our reliance is a little bit too much on us and not enough on you. So God, may that start with me. May that start with us. And may God, we see something in our lives this year when we understand that you are the author of grace and mercy, that we can approach you with confidence in our time of need and that we can approach you at any other time, not because we're great people, but because you're an incredibly great God. Thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, that makes all of this possible. And God, I just pray that if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you, that God, that they might start to seek you out, to see that you offer so much more than what we could ever long for or hope for, that you offer us ultimately rest for our souls. In Jesus' name. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.